The Thursday before the pet blessing, I was out here in the narthex recording God's Eye is on the Sparrow. The whole point here is that the, there's air ventilation and space. So the front doors were open as they are now and the door into the courtyard was also propped open. It was overcast and a little chilly and drizzly and a, a family went by slowly, a woman carrying a child and then a little boy, maybe five or six, walked ne- next to them. He slowed down even more and, and peered in, I smiled at them, of course, and thought about what kind of little kid is drawn to the sounds of that song. Like, it's a good song. It's a beautiful song, but not, like, most catchy and or irritating little kids' music. But by the time we had finished take one of God's Eyes on the Sparrow, the boy had come partway up the steps to listen. Because of the open doors, that put us basically in the same space with each other, like I was on the porch and he was just on the other side of the railing. Have any requests, I asked him. He shook his head. We thought we could do better, so we rolled into God's eyes on the sparrow again and the family kept going, but by the end of take two, they were back. We finished and I saw the woman say something to the little boy and he double-checked with her and then he said, do you know for Elise? I was here with Adam Motes, who, who thought a minute, and then by grace or, or by chance or by muscle memory, those of us who were childhood piano students have, he played it. And the boy watched, eyes wide. Some of us call this space the narthex this space between the sanctuary and the street. Some of, it ha- some of us have always called it that, and we call it that now easily without even thinking about it. And there are others of us, inevitably, who have to ask each other a little bit sheepishly, what's the, um, what do you call it again? The, where's the narthex? I looked into it for this sermon, and I'm not sure that this even technically fits the definition of a narthex. <laughs> It's opposite the altar, yes, but it's not at the western entrance of the building. We have no western entrance to the building unless you come in through the alley. Uh, The western entrance of the building seems like a big part of the classic definition. It seems like this might be more properly called a vestibule or even, I hate to break it to you, just a lobby. But I'm sure at least some of us don't like the sound of that. In early Christianity... A narthex was a place for penitents and for people who couldn't come into the church proper. There was often a baptismal font in the narthex. And and at some points in Christian architectural history, the narthex was a portico, a covered or partially enclosed porch. And actually that meaning gets closest to how we've been using it. With the doors open and the four radiators cranking and the piles of blankets y'all donated, we've been having staff meetings and one-on-ones and and practicing and recording music and and sermons, and we had planned to use it very much as a three-season porch, and God willing, the numbers will go back down and we will be out here as we planned. Whether it fits the definition of narthex or not, whether we can use it the way we planned or not, this space used to be mostly a space we passed through. It's the place where Roy or occasionally someone else would greet you as you arrived. 
the place that newcomers stepped into, unsure of what kind of welcome they would find inside. If you didn't stay for coffee hour, this is the way out. Just the in-between, it's the threshold, the edge. But now, I mean, for a while, abruptly, it's been the center, the center of our church life. This year, we didn't just have summer worship on the lawn. We are doing our whole church life in public. I'm not a shy person. I love performing. I don't mind public speaking in almost any situation. I've done stand-up comedy. I don't care about any of that. But doing church in public challenges even me. Summer worship has always brought with it the challenge of preaching as people pass by. They hear a snippet out of context. They don't know a thing about me as a person. They don't know a thing about us as a church outside of that moment, that snippet. Praying out loud on the lawn can feel particularly vulnerable. I don't know if you feel it, I mean, I assume some of you do, but I have to say, at least y'all get to sit with your back to the sidewalk. And this summer, it was like 10 times as hard. Every Sunday since I've been a pastor, I've been involved in leading singing in some way, even if it's just singing along enthusiastically from my seat. But this year, when we couldn't sing together as a congregation and Vince and I needed to sing solos and duets and trios often with world-class guest musicians and always with world-class Yasko, it was a bit much. Like, the exposure of it was so intense. I imagine people walking by thinking, does she know how she sounds? Does this church think this is good? One of the other places I've sung in public was that Shaker Museum where I worked for so long. The Shakers were a singing people, and so as part of my work there, at midday, I would head into the meeting room and I would greet benches full of museum goers. When it was noon, I would start singing with no introduction. It felt theatrical and effective and good. I was absolutely the center of attention, and I didn't care about that at all. Besides singing, the shakers in their worship danced. Initially, they, they trembled, they shook, you know, shakers. It was all very ecstatic and charismatic until they got organized, and then they started developing some choreography. Arm motions, bowing, moving together in large circles. Sometimes they still got very aerobic. And people wanted to watch. People wanted to see what these freaks were doing, and the shakers didn't mind. They added benches along the edge of their meeting house. They opened worship services to visitors who were there, who they knew full well were there to gawk, to make fun, to write mocking pieces about them and publish them. Looking at you, Mark Twain. But the shakers believed that their utopian, pacifist, freak show way of life was worth seeing And that witnessing it up close might even convert some people, which it did. One of the ringing songs that worked really well in the acoustics of that room was Come Life, Shaker Life. Come Life, Shaker Life. Come Life Eternal. Shake, shake out of me all that is carnal. They weren't really into the carnal. 
But the second part, I'll take nimble steps. Nimble, I'll take nimble steps. I'll be a David. I'll show Michael twice how he behaved. And then I, Sunday school reared I, got to tell the story of David and Michael. What were they referencing? The story from 2 Samuel, when King David brings the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred object, holding the most sacred objects of the people of Israel to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant marked where God could be found. And when it arrived at last in Jerusalem, David danced before it. Danced, 2 Samuel says, with all his might. And his wife, Michael, the Shakers sang, his wife, Michal, looked out a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Later, she told him as much, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants made as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. She'd seen him dancing just in a an ephod, like a, a priestly garment. So either he was maybe wearing only an ephod, like you can picture kind of like apron only, or she found the whole display so tasteless it was as though he'd stripped down. Either way, she thought it wasn't a good look. Anyway, that's the story. I'll be a David. I'll show Michael twice how he behaved. Go ahead and despise us, the shakers sang, whirling away in ecstasy. We'll show her. We'll show you. There's so much more to that story, and there usually is. But for that one moment, when David danced with all his might before God, for all of the evil that he had done and would do for all that their lives together cost Michal, in that one moment, his wild, shameless dance was a recognition of the presence of God. The dancing was just what the presence of God called David to do, how it led him to act. And he didn't only dance wildly, trembling. He had had to stop and put on that priestly garment, that ritual garment. He had had to stop maybe and take off what else he was wearing. He was acting out of personal devotion. He was acting out of his role. He was enacting something on behalf of the whole people. He was recognizing God's presence in a way that made that place home. So as for Mikal's sense of disgust with him and her embarrassment, her thought about what was shameful and what was not, he didn't care about any of that. (laughs) Preaching out here, even now, people going by, praying, having a staff meeting, or even losing my ear for the harmony I'm supposed to be singing on the lawn. It's not the same as dancing near naked in public. But we are doing church. I'm doing church in this newly exposed way. Every summer, when folks walk by during church, they might pause, listen for a moment, and then move on. And it is impossible not to notice at what point they leave, usually during the sermon. But this year, with so little public life of any kind going on, it felt like a steady stream. We were the only show in town. Great music, kids, dogs, people would stop and lean against a tree or squat down. Every summer we pray together outside, but this summer, spread out on the lawn with our voices muffled by masks, it's just a little harder maybe to yell out that personal story 
that pain or hope you were carrying. It's just a little harder to articulate loudly what you fear or hope for the world. But we've been forced into it. To be church under the portico, on the lawn, in the narthex. The house that Bethany built turned inside out. And it has put us into contact with, well, some of you. People who heard the music or came to a lawn lounge, ventured out, took a chance because you saw us in public exposed, joyful, joyful, singing with our heads thrown back. The house that Bethany built spilling out into the world. The church in the world has a reputation. Yasko reminded us at staff meeting a couple weeks ago. The church has a reputation of closed doors, literal and metaphoric. A reputation of a high bar, a tall threshold to get over. But here we are, dumped into the lap of the world. And maybe it's a chance for people to be surprised by what church can be. After that boy almost whispered, do you know Fur Elise? Adam went quiet at the piano, kind of muttering to himself, seeing what he could remember of it. And while he worked on it, I asked the little boy, do you know Fur Elise? Which is maybe too aggressive because he immediately clammed up. Do you play the piano, I asked. Not yet, his mother said, but he loves Fur Elise. He falls asleep to it on repeat every night. Adam started to play, and by grace, by chance, he remembered more and more of the song, and the little boy watched and listened. When Adam finished, he and his mom said, thank you. Thanks for stopping by, I said. I'm one of the pastors here. We're having church outside, I said, hoping that my tone was not too terrifying, hoping that my tone conveyed, don't worry, I'm not trying to convert you. Sunday mornings, I said, 10.30, world-class music, Lots of kids. Come by and listen if you want. You know, take what you want, leave the rest. I was so glad in that moment to be church in public, to be one of the pastors here, to share out of my own love and on behalf of the whole of Bethany a little bit of what kind of welcome they'd find here. I was so glad to stand in this narthex, this pass-through place, and let them know, you don't even have to come in anymore. We'll come out to you. I was so glad I could have danced.